What do we want? No news. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? No news. That is the sound you do want to hear. It is the sound of anti-nuclear activists going off at a nuclear power plant. When you hear that sound, it means you are fighting against the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear, with an emphasis on empowering you, me, and we the people to an activist response. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host of this podcast, and today we have a special audio report on last Sunday's demonstrations at the San Onofre Nuclear Power Station. Uh, there were radiation levels in the parking lot that were truly shocking that you'll find out about, and it includes both an interview with two visitors from Sendai City in Miyagi Prefecture and one of the best informative talks that I've heard in less than five minutes as to what the problem is at San Onofre. Today is Tuesday, March 13, 2012, one year and two days since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11, 2011, and here is the latest nuclear news. Of course, last Sunday was the first anniversary of the uh, Tohoku earthquake and tsunami that was a terrible, devastating disaster in its, by itself, and then it led to the difficulties at Fukushima Daiichi, with which we were still struggling, and the Earth will be struggling for many millennia to come. In the news this week, and there was much news about the events in Japan, the most important video uh, that came forth, one of them was from Asahi Television, uh, it was a uh, discussion that went beyond mentioning that the number four fuel, spent fuel pool um, could be dislodged by an earthquake causing the pool to collapse. Uh, what it stated was that a crack, rather than the collapse of the pool itself, could leak out all of the coolant and lead to the uh, spent fuel rods melting down further, releasing additional radiation. And according to this video, uh, it could mean the end of Japan. Uh, a quake that could put a crack in the pool and be the end of Japan does not have to be a large one, the quake that is. Um, this is according to work that was done on YouTube. You can search it out with Tokyo Brown Tabby, T-A-B-B-Y like the cat. Now, the true cause of the Fukushima Daiichi accident, according to this video, still has not been identified, uh, yet they are talking about the resumption of operations of nuclear plants. An interview took place on this, on this video with Dr. Koide of Kyoto University, and he stated that Unit 4 is a wreck, a wreck. If a large aftershock occurred and the wall here collapsed, the water in the pool would leak out and spent fuel would not be cooled anymore. Then it would start to melt probably completely, and a huge amount of radiation contained in the spent fuel would be released outside with no walls to block it. So it doesn't have to be an earthquake or even a large earthquake. If the pool got cracks after another earthquake and water started to leak out, that would be the end for a wide area, including Tokyo. Word from the Fukushima 50, these were those brave workers, there were actually more than 50 of them, who stayed in the Fukushima Daiichi plant immediately after the initial accident and worked to try and cool it down and, and help out. Uh, the world's eyes turned briefly on them uh, immediately after the accident, but little has been heard since. What we've learned is that most have been reluctant to speak out to the media for fear of losing their jobs. 
three workers, however, did agree to speak to the Asahi Shimbum AJW. This is a television program. Uh, all of these men grew up close to the Fukushima plant and started working there in their late teens or early 20s. All three of them say they have become desensitized to the risks of radiation exposure after years of work in the nuclear industry. The training they received from TAPCO, Tokyo Electric Power Company, played down the risks with cartoons of doses received from airplane flights, x-rays, and rocks, and made no mention of the 1986 Chernobyl disaster in the former Soviet Union. According to one of the workers, Kenichi, after working in this job for 10 years, you become anesthetized to words like exposure or contamination. Kenichi's internal radiation exposure has been measured at 5,000 counts per minute, or around five times the upper range for an average person. He says, sometimes I think maybe I shouldn't get married and I won't be able to have kids. Now, many of the people on site at uh, Fukushima Daiichi fainted from heat stroke, according to these, these workers. But if they had to go home, they would not be paid. Those who blamed the plant's operators for their symptoms were told not to come back the next day. None of them trust anything TEPCO or the government says. And by the way, these workers, these brave workers at Fukushima, go in and work in the radiation for 1,000 yen an hour, which sounds like it should be a lot of money, but it, is, it comes out to just slightly over $12 an hour to risk their lives in the radiation. Now, in Japan, there are many efforts to uh, quash honest information from coming out. A blog that was kept by a woman who was uh, sickened by the radiation, she was in uh, Minamisoma. Uh, the blog has disappeared after she recently appeared on Al Jazeera. There's not even a cache. The information cannot be found, and uh, we don't know if that's going to be duplicatable yet. Records of human deformations and stillbirths after Fukushima have yet to be published. Uh, according to officials, they are preparing the data for public release. Uh, they are trying to make, quote-unquote, proper statistics before publishing it. Uh, I once worked in demographic research, and uh, the saying in the research arena is true. There are three kinds of liars. There are liars, there are damned liars, and then there are statisticians who can twist numbers to make them look like anything. So just be aware that the numbers are not yet out on birth defects. And at this point, any children born in Japan will have been conceived after Fukushima. We'll give you more information on that as it becomes available. Meanwhile, in Japan, the campaign to, uh, actually by the government, to spread the radiation throughout the country seems to be working. Uh, there's an area called Kitakyushu which is about as far away from Fukushima as you can get and still be in Japan. Fukushima Daiichi is in the northeast of the country, and uh, the southwest of it is where uh, Kitakyushu is. So it is one of the safest areas in Japan, one of the cleanest, and it is just unanimously, unanimously passed a resolution in their municipal assembly calling for the city to help in the disposal of debris left in Iwate and Miyagi prefectures in the wake of the earthquake and tsunami. Uh, this is radioactive debris, but that word does not appear anywhere. Um, residents outside the disaster area have been reasonably reluctant to accept the debris, with many worried that the rubble may be contaminated with radiation leaking from Fukushima. Uh, however, 
The resolution states that the huge amount of debris has formed a major obstacle in recovery and restoration efforts and adds, its disposal is sought as quickly as possible with cooperation from the whole nation. The problem with that is that there's no safe way to dispose of radioactive debris. So by shipping it to the southwest of the country, all they're doing doing is spreading it to an area that has previously been safe. Arnie Gunderson, our friend at Fairwinds.com, a former nuclear engineer who was harassed out of the industry when he refused to um, uh, approve work that wasn't up to standards. We'll have more on that story in the future. But uh, he has stated that Fukushima is ten times worse than Chernobyl. Uh, He took samples just at random in the Tokyo area, and five of them that he took qualified as radioactive waste, meaning in the United States it would be radioactive waste that would have to be disposed of in a protective way. This was just stuff lying around on the ground, the dirt, the dust, whatever was there. When Gunderson compared Fukushima to Chernobyl, he said Chernobyl was a single reactor running at about 7% capacity when it ruptured. Fukushima, on the other hand, had three reactors running at 100% capacity and seven other reactors with spent fuel pools that were crippled. Chernobyl stopped releasing radioactive material after about two weeks. This is not the case at Fukushima one year on, meaning that radioactivity is still being released from the site. Regarding cancers and other health problems, Harney said that although there have been no proven deaths related to Fukushima, we here at Nuclear Hot Seat might debate that, but still this is what he's saying, no proven deaths related to the Fukushima meltdowns to date. Over the next 20 years, there would be about 1 million additional cancers and other health problems from the accident. Even in Tokyo, most people think it's over and they survived it, but with the latency period of these cancers, it's going to pop up 20 years out, and then people will wonder where it came from. Now, looking at the Ukraine, meaning the site of Chernobyl, uh, they also agree that um, uh, Fukushima is worse than Chernobyl. But still, um, according to professor and investigative journalist Carl Grossman um, on fallout from Fukushima, he interviewed a Dr. Alexei Yablokov, who is a member of the Russian Academy of Sciences and was an advisor to President Gorbachev at the time of the Chernobyl meltdown. Uh, Dr. Yablokov believes because of the multiplicity of nuclear facilities in Japan and the fact that the population is far more dense than the area around Chernobyl and the fact that the accident went on for so long, the discharges, the releases, and they're not over yet, Dr. Yablokov believes it will be worse than Chernobyl in terms of the final toll. And to give you some perspective on that, according to the Fukushima story you never knew about, uh, which came from Greg Palast Reports, uh, source for this was the Alex Jones shows through enenews.com, uh, Greg spoke with a doctor in the Ukraine who herself has thyroid cancer, and she said that there is a tremendous epidemic of thyroid cancer currently in the Ukraine. This is 25 years out from Chernobyl happening. So this is in the future of the people in Japan. The problem being that after exposure to radiation, the the distance between cause and effect can be very great. So um, people don't necessarily make the connection, but the future is not bright. Now, As I said, last Sunday was the first anniversary of the Tohoku earthquake, the tsunami, and the resulting disaster at Fukushima Daiichi. 
We had a demonstration here in Southern California that was focused on the uh, San Onofre nuclear power station. I was there. I took some reports. I did some interviews. And what's going to follow is um, our pieces of an audio montage that will just give you a sense of what it's like, what it was like to be there and be a participant. The first is the report that I did just at the beginning, uh, before the march when we were just assembling in the parking lot. As I'm standing here before the beginning of the march, I see the parking lot filled with activists. Fortunately, some of them don't have gray hair yet. We've even got some teenagers in early 20s here. So all generations are represented. We have signs. We have posters. We have the attention of the media. And we certainly have the attention of the police and military. Uh, in coming in, we still believe that the number of protesters are outnumbered by the number of police that are here. And and that's without even the uh, Marines from Camp Pendleton who are on uh, call to come here in case we are in some way disruptive. It looks like a pretty peaceful crowd to me at this point. I know I'm planning to be here peacefully, but it doesn't mean that I'm not enraged at the fact that there are radiation readings here higher than the level allowed in Fukushima, allowed for safety. And this is here on U.S. soil at San Onofre, but of course they don't want this information getting out. Let's try to spread it, okay? Back shortly. So what I was talking about with the radiation release is what will be covered next. Um, the There were two people who came all the way from Sendai City and Miyagi P Prefecture to be with us at San Onofre. Uh, there will be an interview with them in a moment. But before we had a chance to do the interview, they were demonstrating for another reporter how their um, uh, their Geiger counters were working and the readings that they were getting. And when they did readings in the parking lot where we were standing, it was just to the south of the nuclear power plant right at San Onofre State Beach, um, we learned some pretty shocking information. Uh, you're going to hear here from Umi Hagatani. Umi was the interpreter for our two Japanese guests, and uh, here she is telling what was actually found on site at San Onofre. Umi Hagitani from No Nukes Action and Residents Organized for Safe Environment. They were just taking um, radiation samples here. Could you tell us what has been found? So it was 0 0.11 microsiebels per an hour in the upper wind side of San Onofre nuclear power plant station songs, which is already illegal, those, if this was in Japan. But this is lower compared to the ones that we monitored in the downwind side of, um, of at the T, T Street Beach. Could you tell me what is the legal limit to radiation in Japan, and how does that compare with what has just been found here in San Onofre? Okay, 0 0.10 microsieverts per an hour, meaning 0 0.1 millisieverts per a year, and that's the dosage that the Japanese citizens are allowed to be exposed, like legally, like in in the air. That's the air contamination. That's, that's just what they're saying. Is, that's okay. what they're. It doesn't mean that physiologically it's the right thing, but that's just what the government. That's is saying. what the government and the TEPCO is saying. So how does that compare to the numbers that you just got here at San Onofre? Uh, what we see here is that there, um, the delegates from Miyagi that is next to Fukushima, that is outside of Fukushima, are saying that 
this San Onofre is as contaminated as it is in the Miyagi Prefecture after the Fukushima accident, which is incredibly shocking. To which I really had nothing to add because, yes, it was shocking to think that we are exposed to that much radiation while still being told by um, the operators of San Onofre that there's no danger and no leaking radiation. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. What you're going to hear next is an interview that I conducted with the two individuals from Japan, Hirohide Sakuma and Kyoko Sugisawa. Uh, both are from Sendai City in Miyagi Prefecture. Both are parents. They're not related to each other, but they each, uh, he and she, both decided to come over um, in part to be in solidarity with us, in part because they're worried, as they said off interview, they're worried about what's happening here in Southern California with San Onofre, and for other reasons that they will explain here. Because the interview took place in Japanese through an interpreter, I have played just a little bit of the Japanese but for the most part, we are going to be focusing on uh, Umi Hagatani, who is the interpreter. He's uh, my name is Hirohide Sakuma, H-I-R-O-H-I-D-E-S-A-K-U-M-A, and I'm from Sendai City, Miyagi Prefecture, that is next to Fukushima, and I'm 40 years old. And why are you here at San Onofre on March 11th instead of in Japan with your people and the ceremonies there? One thing is that we're not heard in Japan at all. We anti-nukes activists or we who are concerned are not heard in Japan at all because Japan is so busy for the recovery of the economy. And also they said that the reactor is called shutdown, whereas the, the, you know, the reality is that it's still an ongoing disaster so we want to be heard and when we speak about what we really think what we really research and what we really know and when we try to be in solidarity with the other concerned people we're called like we're crazy so what kind of actions have you been involved with in Japan and what would you like to see coming forward from this time we're not the activists but we are the concerned parents who knows most about my kids safety and we are very sure about that. So that's why like we put the soil, we steal the soil from the kindergarten where my kids go and take it to the like a board of ed, take it to the principals of the kindergarten and ask them to monitor it or when it's not giving, you know, when the monitoring is not the giving as a service for us, then we purchase our Geiger counters on our own and do like our own activism and that's what you might call that we're activists. And as parents, what I want ultimately is a safer environment for our kids. Now here we're switching over to the other individual. In that sense, I really want to continue and connect with the all over the world because we want to work together to have a safe, safe environment for our kids. What is your name and your affiliation with being here today? My name is Kyoko Sugasawa, K-Y-O-K-O-S-U-G-A-S-A-W-A. And I'm a mother from uh, Sendai City, Miyagi Prefecture, that is next to Fukushima. 
And I came here because my alliance, the mothers around me, were all busy, you know, and active in the community to struggle against the nuclear power and its policies. And one of my friends was called, invited originally, but she had to go to Fukushima for this anniversary. And I'm really concerned as a mother, and we share the common concerns. And also, we learned about California nukes and San Onofre, so it's my mission to come here. What are some of the worst manipulations that you see going on as regards the mothers and the children in your area? There's a, so many worst things. The first thing is that they still haven't revealed or, like, passed on any knowledge that they have about the Speedy, which is very important. Like, we're not, we're always told that we're safe and uh, Fukushima is over, and that is a cover-up. And they say, they say that because, they cover up because if they they think that if they told us the truth, then we're going to be panicked. But we're panicked because they're not telling the truth. And that's the worst thing. We want the evacuate. We want to evacuate, and we don't have any compensation. That's the worst things that we're having. We are the victims of this catastrophe. And the TEPCO is saying, like, they're going to heighten the, the, the electricity, the rate for the electricity by 20%. They're the people who are, who, is, who are harming us. And why we, the victims, have to pay for what they need to do, which they haven't been doing. That's the worst thing. There was much more that came while uh, these two individuals were speaking. Um, at this point, we were asked to muster ourselves for not really a march. It was um, a, a very nice little stroll to the staging area, just going from the parking lot to a particular bend in the road that was uh, protected by so many police, so many vehicles, helicopters overhead, and, of course, the Marines were ready to march on us, none of which were needed because uh, we were there to peacefully demonstrate. Uh, the day's speakers included a Native American prayer and remembrance for those who died in the earthquake and tsunami, and a prayer for all those who still face the radiation and risks of the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power station. There were speeches by both Hirohide Sakuma and Kyoko uh, Sugasawa, which were interpreted by Umi Hagatani. Uh, they spoke for about half an hour, and they gave harrowing accounts of the dangers that they continue to face every day. Gene Stone of Rose was there. Several local residents who had recently become aware of the risks and were new activists spoke about their new awarenesses. There was a powerful story presented by actress Mimi Kennedy that was specific to her life and her history uh, in conjunction with the nuclear industry through her father. And we were entertained by sharply satiric songs by Acapella, an all-women's group from San Diego. But if there was one speech that hit the mark and summarized the problems we face here in Southern California from San Onofre, it was this five minutes from Ace Hoffman, who is a longtime anti-nuclear activist based down in the San Onofre area, and he's author of the book The Code Killers, which is about the effects of radiation on the human body. And we're fortunate to have from the live streaming the introduction and then his entire speech. Please give a listen. Uh, Ace Hoffman uh, is uh, well known for his investigations into the nuclear industry and uh, the issues with regard to the safety and uh, and some of the profiteering that goes on. So give a welcome to Ace. Wow, it's wonderful to see you here. This is the biggest crowd I've ever seen against nukes. Uh, 
prior to, uh, or since, uh, well, 1979, 1980, when we used to protest Three Mile Island and all of that. And uh, what's happened is we've all gotten pretty stupid, and we've forgotten the lessons. Back in the 60s, they did know we had to get rid of these plants. So rather than try to get everything, everyone brought up to date, I'm going to try and just talk about what's actually happening there and none of this may be right because it's all based on hearsay and whistleblowers and ex-workers and articles and speculation. But what we think is happening there is that in one of the units, Unit 2, they had degradation in the steam tubes. The, the, the generators, there's two generators in each reactor. Now, these are different from Fukushima where there are no steam generators because Fukushima are boiling water reactors. So they boil the water and steam comes out. In our reactors, they're pressurized water reactors. So they, they heat the water up, but under pressure so that it will not boil. And then they run the, the very hot water through tubes, very thin tubes, the thickness of a credit card. And there's 10,000 of each of these tubes in each of two steam generators. So that's the difference between our reactor and Fukushima. Ours is under a lot of pressure. It's called a pressurized water reactor, and those are called boiling water reactors. So really, have you ever heard anyone trying to tell you in the last year that these are safer and less likely to blow up? Yeah. They're not. They're, they're at least as likely, and they're not any safer. And what happened is in Unit 2, they put in new steam generators because the old ones had worn out prematurely, and they discovered in just a little over a year that those were wearing out where they, where they were held to the, uh, you know, the brackets that were holding them, they'd shake, and they had 30% wear on two of them, and 20% wear on, I think, about 60, 70 of them, and at least 10% wear on 800. Now, remember, there's about 10,000 of these tubes, so that's almost 10% of them have worn out or are wearing significantly, and 5% on countless. So they had a huge problem with them, and not only that, but the reactor pressure vessel head, the reactor pressure vessel looks like a pill, but it's huge. And the top of one of the reactor pressure vessel, the reactor pressure vessel head in uh, 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 in Ohio, Davis Betsy plant, had actually worn a hole all the way through it, as big as a football. And the only thing protecting Ohio from a Fukushima, this was in uh, 2002, was the stainless steel liner, which was about an eighth of an inch thick, and it was bulging. We came that close to Fukushima here in America. So over here, we've got these reactor uh, parts that are wearing out, and when they decided to replace the uh, steam generator, the, the last time they did a refueling, they, had, they looked at the new steam generators, and they were wearing, and they were replacing the reactor pressure vessel head at the time because it had worn out. And they keep telling us that, they've, that they're doing routine maintenance on Unit 2 in the last few months. Reactor pressure vessel head was never supposed to be replaced. How can anyone call that routine? So while they're in the midst of doing that, Unit 3, which also has two new steam generators, uh, ruptured. One of, the steam, one of those 10,000 tubes in Unit 2 simply split, about a five-inch crack. And they don't know why. And so right now, we are in 100% solidarity with the people at San Onofre. They don't want to run that reactor because they don't think it's safe. We don't want them to run the reactor because we don't think it's safe. There is, unfortunately, one difference. None of us are making any money 
from the reactor when it's running, and they are losing money at the rate of about a million dollars away per a day per reactor. This is a powerful incentive to restart those reactors. But there is no other reason to restart it. We have wind, we have sun, we have tides. We, we have in, and the lights are on. And how can we possibly not get ready for summer? We maybe open the windows a little more close the curtains during the day a little so we don't have to use the air conditioning. Now, how can we possibly think that we need this power plant? We've been doing fine for a month without it. So, so let's all thank Stan and Ophi for staying down for a month and hope they stay down forever. Thank you very much. Ace, that was very well said and uh, appreciated. Now, just by comparison, we had about 200 people at San Onofre for that demonstration, whereas uh, around the world there were other demonstrations. Thousands of people formed human chains in Germany and France to protest against the use of nuclear power plants on Sunday. Uh, protesters also gathered at nuclear sites in New York and, of course, here in California. But at least 24,000 people carrying torches formed an 80-kilometer-long human chain in areas near Braunschweig in Germany, which has decided the country has decided to abandon nuclear power by the end of 2022. The chain encircled three nuclear facilities, including a temporary storage site for nuclear waste in the vicinity of the city. In France, a country which depends on nuclear energy for around 75% of its power, an environmental conservation group and the Europe, Europe Ecology Green Party organized a 230-230-kilometer human chain event in areas connecting southern French cities of Lyon and Avignon, where over 10 nuclear reactors are located. According to the organizers, around 60,000 people took part, while police said about 30,000 participated. Here in, uh, well, excuse me, in Japan, about 200 people, including residents of, oh no, excuse me, this is California, about 200 people showed up at San Onofre, and in New York, there were about 100 people taking to the streets. I don't know why there's the disparity in numbers, but we here in America need to get on it and up the amps on our demonstrations, get more people out there. Meanwhile, it was a powerful, peaceful day of protest at San Onofre amid the proven radioactive sands and dust surrounding the nuclear generating facility. Now, as I left, I saw a truly amazing sight. The warning sirens at San Onofre, which are all up on very large poles so that the sound can be broadcast out. Now, this is the sound that I usually play at the beginning of each episode of Nuclear Hot Seat. What I found remarkable was that each warning siren on a pole had at its base a solar panel. I guess that's so if the plant, if the nuclear facility goes out and a warning needs to be issued to tell people to duck away from the radiation or shelter in place or just, you know, get the heck out of there, the sirens will be powered by a reliable energy source that will not go down even in a nuclear accident. So warnings of a nuclear apocalypse will be powered by solar energy, this according to San Onofre. You know, why don't they just cut to the chase and do solar from the get-go so that we don't need nuclear reactors or warning sirens? 
there was just something so twisted about this that if there, I didn't get a picture of it because I, I couldn't stop my car and do so. There were too many cop cars around. But if there's anybody in the San Clemente area who can get me a photo of that, I would love to post it with this story on the blog at nuclearhotseat.com. Meanwhile, holistic healing. Those of us who are at this demonstration at San Onofre were exposed to radiation above what's considered to be safe in Japan. There's an entirely, there's a possibility also that that radioactivity was in the dust that was swirling around in the wind and the sands that we sat upon. So the holistic health tip for today is for anti-nuclear demonstrators to protect themselves and be safe both before and after a demonstration, be it at San Onofre or elsewhere. Now, before the demo, for that day and perhaps a few days before, you need to take extra spirulina or other green food. Up your iodine intake, either through seaweed in miso soup, through iodine supplements, or potassium iodide tablets, whatever you prefer. And make certain you have a large trash bag outside your house, or preferably in the trunk of your car, but definitely not in your house. We'll get to why in a moment. After a demonstration, do not bring your clothes or shoes back into the house. Take them off and store them in that plastic trash bag. If you can do so on site, great, but you want to be like wearing clothes when you're driving home. So do what you can, but put everything you can into the plastic trash bag. By the time you get home, take off everything else. If you had a purse or a knapsack with you, you want to include that, and you want to wash everything in the hottest water you can through the longest cycle you can. Include your shoes, include the knapsack, include the purse, any blank that you were sitting on, anything that was exposed to the dust or the sand, that needs to be washed. You have the option of also taking these items and throwing them away once you put them in the plastic bag. Once you've taken the clothes out and putting them in the dryer, run a second wash cycle exactly the same with the washer empty just to make certain that if there's any contamination in there, it washes out. As for you personally, take more spirulina. You also want to protect against internal contamination, the possible you know, bringing into your body of any nuclear contamination, any radioactivity. So you can take apple pectin, or one of the clays, either zeolite, calcium bentonite, or French green clay. Take these internally. It's always best to take between half a teaspoon and a teaspoon. And if you don't want to gag on it, this is my experience, it's best to put it in a smoothie. Much more pleasant. It will help leach out internally any contaminants that might be there. You also need to take more iodine in whatever form you choose, seaweed supplements or potassium iodide tablets. You also need to take a shower. Nice, hot, long shower. Be sure to wash your hair, scrub your entire body, and make sure you get under the fingernails. You don't have to do silkwood on yourself, but you need to be thorough about this. Next, get your car washed as soon as possible and have them take special care with vacuuming the upholstery. And finally, the day of the demo, once you get home and you've taken care of all of this, sit back, relax, have a drink if you are into such things, Make certain you tell your loved ones that you love them. And if you believe in such things, pray for peace, for safety, and for sanity before it's too long. 
I want to thank those people who pulled together the event at San Onofre today. It was uh, on Sunday. It was quite moving. Uh, thanks specifically to Hirohide Sakuma and Kyoko Sugasawa, who came so far to be with us, as well as Umi Hagitani, who was their interpreter and works with us here in the greater Los Angeles area and in California, uh, Ace Hoffman for that great speech, all the speakers, all the hardworking activists who put together the demonstration. Um, they did a terrific job. And for the rest of you who take the time, energy, and other resources out of your life to be part of the international protest movement on behalf of the future of all life on Earth, you have my gratitude as well. In closing, this has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, March 13, 2012, one year and two days since the Fukushima Daiichi accident began. Now, if you go to NuclearHotSeat.com, you will now find icons in the upper right so that you can sign up to get our podcast by clicking on the orange RSS feed button. It looks like an R and got two little little round things next to it. In that way, you will get the podcast directly, and you don't even have to struggle with iTunes to do so. You can also click on the links in those exact same pages to the Facebook page, and you can sign up to follow us on Twitter, all of which will be forthcoming uh, in a much smarter way in social media in the coming weeks. The YouTube Nuclear Hot Seat channel is now together, and it will have content loaded in it within the next week. So looking forward to whatever the future brings in terms of anti-nuclear activism. This is Libby Halevi of Heart of Street Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that you and I and all the rest of us have had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, do not go back to sleep. Be safe, be well, and I'll speak with you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.